right. Well, um, I wanted to just take a moment before we started, and you may be asking, what is this stuff here on the stage? Um, our kids, there, there was an engineering um, track this week. There was a sewing track this week. There was an art track this week. There were other sports tracks. Um, and this is just an example of what our kids did through the week, that they had an incredibly fun time as they learned about who God is. And so um, let me just say this really quick. Thank you for being so supportive of Camp Airborne. It is, it is an incredible opportunity for us to share the gospel uh, with kids from around this community. Um, I have a special place in my heart for Camp Airborne or VBS. I was saved at VBS when I was nine years old, and so it's a huge thing for us to be able to share the gospel in that way with our community. Um, but this morning, we're going to continue in our series, Summer of Songs, and we just finished singing one of the great hymns of our faith, How Great Is Our God. And you may be thinking, hold on now, How Great Is Our God is not a hymn. Um, I would argue with you on that. It is. It's in the 2008 Baptist hymnal, all right? So that categorizes it as a hymn, correct? Um, that was a joke, everyone. It, it is in the hymnal, but let's lighten up a little bit, okay? Um, but How Great Is Our God has been sung for several years now, and it's served many churches in that time. It has served us in that time. And while many of us in this room have sung that song many times, there is something about that song that you may not realize. Now, How Great Is Our God, and, and the song that we're going to sing here in a little while, How Great Thou Art, actually have a lot to do with football. And you may be thinking, I didn't see that one coming. You're right. You probably didn't see that one coming. But, but follow me for a minute here. So, you know, in a football game, if you've never played or if you have played, you understand this, that there's a lot of action that occurs on the field. I mean, you have two teams that are running plays, offensive and defensive. You have guys that are running around the field. You have coaches yelling from the sidelines. And, and added to all of that is the roar of the crowd. And it's kind of chaotic at times. If you've never played football, you may not understand how chaotic it could be on the field. As, as somebody who played football in high school, it, it is at times. It's chaotic, but in a really good way. Um, but it, it is chaotic. And so if you've never played football, you may not know this, but there are actually also some coaches that you may never see uh, that are a part of the game as well. Of course, you have the coaches on the sidelines, but there's also some coaches that are high above the field. They're in a press box usually. It's closed off uh, sometimes from all of the yelling that's going out in the stands and, and all that noise. And these coaches have a totally different vantage point than the coaches who are down on the field. Totally different vantage point. These coordinators, as they're called, usually offensive and defensive coordinators, they're able to inform the coaches down on the field what plays they should call in order to best proceed in the game because they're able to do this because they're elevated above the field and they can see what's going on. They have a better perspective. And I'm sure you're thinking, okay, now how in the world is that going to connect back to how great is our God and how great thou art? Well, these songs are examples for us to be lifted up. They elevate our view of what's actually happening around us. They draw our attention to the greatness of our God in a way that breaks our gaze from the circumstances of life that can blind us to who our Savior truly is. These songs are like the coordinators for us. They raise our view. They help us to see that, hey, I know that there may be some chaos going on around you, but there's a different perspective. And these songs serve 
to raise our view. And we need to elevate our view of God's greatness and His goodness. And we find a passage in the Old Testament that helps to reinforce that fact. So turn with me, if you don't mind, to Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is where we're going to be this morning. And in Psalm 145, this is the final psalm of King David. Now, King David, uh, as you may know, he slayed a giant with a sling and a stone, and he was the king of Israel during the golden age in Israel. Um, But he was also a psalm writer. He wrote 75 of the 150 psalms that we find in the book of Psalms. And um, this is the final one that's recorded in the book, Psalm 145. And David understood that we need a different perspective of who God is, and so we can learn from that this morning. Because the fact of the matter is that our lives are to be marked by our praise of our Creator. Our lives are to be marked by our praise of our Creator. But why do we need to elevate the view of God's greatness in our lives? Well, think think back to the example that we gave a while ago. As a player on the field... You have a very limited view in a football game. You can see what's going on around you. You may get a glimpse of what's going on up in the stands, but you have a very limited view of what's going around you. And it's easy to get lost in the chaos of the game. And the coaches on the sideline have a limited view. They can easily be overwhelmed. And the same is true in our lives. It's easy to get overwhelmed. Would you agree? It's easy to get caught up in everything that's happening around you, good or bad. I'm not saying that we're talking about just the chaos or just the uh, tragedies in our life, but even you can get caught up in the good things in our life and you lose your view of who God is. And so we need to maintain an elevated view of God so that our lives serve to always praise Him. If our lives are not marked and shaped by praise, then we can be in very real danger of being lured away to worship something other than God. And if we don't live with a sense of awe and wonder before God, it will negatively affect every aspect of our lives. Relationships will suffer. We'll spend money incorrectly. We make bad decisions. We drift off into idolatry if we don't focus on praising our God. And so we need to live in wonder and praise of God. So let's look at what David has to say here in Psalm 145 and see how it elevates our vision of God's greatness and goodness and leads us to really accomplish the things that we've been called to do with our lives. And the chief, chief purpose of our lives as believers is to pursue the glory of God by praising Him at all times. So read with me Psalm 145, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the whole psalm. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of your might, of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will seek the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now, there's three things that I think we see in this psalm that can help us to elevate our view of God. First, we see that we praise God for his greatness. We praise God for his greatness. Remember that David was the king of Israel. He's a very powerful man who commanded respect. However, David didn't let that characterize his life. Now, yes, David was a sinner, just like you and me. And he had mistakes that were unfortunately on display on a national stage for him when his mess-ups happened. But you and I mess up, and we're sinners just like David was. He didn't let those mess-ups characterize his life. He was a man, he's known as, what, what is David known as? The man that's what? The man after God's own heart, that's right. And think about, David was not a guy that I necessarily would want to live up to, right? I mean, he did some pretty bad things in his life, and yet he's still the man that was after God's own heart. He knew that God was king over him. David, as the king, as the most powerful person in the land of Israel, steps aside in order to point our attention and the attention of everyone listening to the great king over all things. And so I want to ask you this morning to begin thinking can you call Jesus your king? Is that something that characterizes our life? Have you bowed before his greatness? Have you stepped aside to say, God, you are great and I am not? You can do that today. <laughs> I wanted you to know that. That can happen right now. And we're going to have an opportunity to respond here in just a moment. But I want, to, I want you to begin thinking, do I really call Jesus king in my life? The psalm says that we should praise God's greatness every day. Look at what he says. He says, I will extol my God and king, or I will exalt my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Every day I will praise your name. Do you praise God every day? Do you get up and, th and say, God, thank you that I'm alive again. Thank you that you woke me up. Thank you that I have a home to live in, that I have food to eat, that I have the necessities that I need to make it through this life. Do you thank God each day for how great and mighty he is? He's worthy of that. Our God is great and mighty. His greatness, as it says there, is unsearchable. He's so great. Do you thank him for that? Because the fact that he's that great means that he has the power to do everything he says he's going to do, right? We need to thank God for that each day. I encourage you to take time every day to praise God. Thank him for how great he is. I don't know if you do that sitting on the side of your bed, or if you do that riding into work or however, but I would encourage you take the opportunity to thank God every day for how great he is. 
But, but I want us for just a moment to talk about this word great for a minute. Now, it's a word that gets really overused in our culture today. We, people say, man, I, I found this great deodorant. It works really well, right? Or, man, that restaurant has great hamburgers. You should go eat there. Or, man, we live in a great city, don't we? Have a great city. Or, man, we're getting ready for the Olympics later on this week. There are some great athletes in the world Sometimes we, we spend time with someone important and you leave and say, man, I've been in the presence of greatness, right? We use the word great everywhere. And I don't want to rain on anyone's parade because I have eaten great hamburgers and I do use what I think is a great deodorant, but I, I don't want us to overuse that word and not understand what we're talking about here. Only God, only of God can we truly say how great thou art. Only of God is, uh, can we say, God, you are great above all things. You are worthy of our praise. Only he is greatly to be praised every day. Just like it says, his greatness is unsearchable. We can't even fathom the depths of how great and majestic our God really is. And if there is anyone that we should say we have been in the presence of greatness referring to, it is God. When we are in God's presence, we are in the presence of of greatness. And if there are none who compare to him, if there's no one like our God, then our praise and our worship of him should be deeper and more passionate than our praise and worship of any other thing. Don't let that miss you. Don't miss what I just said. If God is who he says he is, if he is the great unsearchable God, then our praise of him should be deeper and more passionate than our praise of any other thing. David reminds us that we cannot keep God's greatness to ourselves. It's something we have to share. We need to pass the story of redemption on to the next generation. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, verses 4 and following. He says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. We saw it this morning. These kids, you know, is he good? He's good. Is he God? He's God. That's exactly what David is describing here. Let it pour forth. Let us shout for joy that our God is great. John Piper uh, has a quote in his book called One Generation where he says this, It is the biblical duty of every generation of Christians to see to it that the next generation hears about the mighty acts of God. God does not drop a new Bible from heaven on every generation. He intends that the older generation will teach the newer generation to read and think and trust and obey and rejoice. It's true that God draws near personally to every generation of believers, but he does so through the biblical truth that they learned from the preceding generation. One generation commends God's works to the next generation. You see that here in Psalm 145. You see that in Titus 2. It's the model that Paul gives that the older believers are to teach the younger believers how to follow after Christ. The next generation needs to see their parents and their teachers and their leaders praising God with passion. That's why they are here in our service to start our time together. They need to see us praising God with passion. They need to see us celebrating how great our God is. 
They need to see us worshiping our great God and King. That's the model that God intended. We talk about the Lord when we're walking down the street. We talk about Him when we're at home. We talk, we talk about Him when we gather for worship and when we lie down at night. We are to praise God at all times because He is great and He's worthy of our praise. Amen? Our God is great and worthy of our praise. So we praise God for His greatness, but we don't stop there. We keep going. The second thing we see is that we praise God for His goodness. We praise God for His goodness. This infinitely great and majestic and powerful God is also good. He is a good God. We see in David's words that he longs for the next generation to not only speak about the Lord's greatness, but also about how incredibly good he is to all creation. He says there um, in verse 7, he says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Not only should we talk about God's goodness and tell people that our God is good, but it should pour forth from us in our daily lives. The praise of God's goodness should gush from us like a spring, that we are to talk about how good our God is. And we should never imagine that we are saved by our own goodness. There is no goodness in me. There's no goodness in you other than what God provides. We've been saved because God is good, and He's worthy of our praise in return. All who become new creations in Christ will enjoy God's goodness for all eternity. But verse 9 tells us that God is good to all of creation. We see this in the common graces that humanity gets to experience. The believer and the non-believer alike get to experience the beauty of creation. The believer and the non-believer alike can know what it feels like to have a cool breeze blow on your face. We can marvel at the beauty of the mountains. and We see that God is good, that he lets us enjoy those things. And we can't take God's goodness for granted. Because imagine if God was as great as we have established that he is, but he wasn't good. Our lives would be a much different story, would they not? That great, powerful God, if he's not good, he's a dictator, right? He's someone who mashes everyone in front of him and bulldozes his way through. But our God is great, but he's also good. And we can trust in that and celebrate that today. We praise God for his incredible goodness toward us and toward all of his creation. The final thing that we see in this psalm is that we praise God for his faithfulness. We praise God for his faithfulness. Verses 10 through 21, the rest of the psalm, recount how the greatness and goodness of God lead to his faithfulness toward creation. How, how many of us can testify to God's faithfulness? By a show of hands, how many of you would say that God is faithful? Yeah, pretty much all of us, right? God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. I'm sure we could spend the rest of our day going around the room and talking about how we have seen God be faithful in our lives to fulfill his promises to us that we find in scripture. I mean, I, I know for my family, God has been incredibly faithful. It was two years ago this past Wednesday that the church voted to call us here uh, for me to be the worship pastor. And God in those two years has been incredibly faithful 
to show me not only his goodness, not only his great, greatness, but his faithfulness demonstrated toward us in what was a, a very difficult year for us in 2019 as the Arrowwood family. But I'm so thankful for each of you and for how you have allowed yourselves to be used by God to demonstrate his faithfulness toward us. Because typically, that's how we see God's faithfulness demonstrated. It's through other believers. That God uses other people to demonstrate his faithfulness to us and say, look how good I am. Look how I provide for you. Look at how I love you. We see that through other believers. Look at how God's faithfulness is demonstrated in the second half of this psalm. We, we actually see two types of faithfulness described here. First, we see that there is faithfulness from God to the world. Look at verses 14 through 16. The Lord upholds all who are falling. He raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in their due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Did you guys notice the emphasis there? All, 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 every. God is faithful to all of creation. That there is this sort of indiscriminate generosity to everyone without distinction. He's faithful to the wicked and to the righteous, to the complex things, to humanity, to the simple things. It says every living creature. He's faithful to the flowers of the field. He's faithful to you and me. God is faithful to every living thing. This is what we mentioned a while ago, is the common grace of God. Every day of life is a day of God's common grace. This is an extension of the covenant that God made with Noah back in Genesis to not destroy life on earth with a flood again. God is faithful to keep that promise, that God has faithfulness toward all of his creation. But there's a second type of faithfulness that we see here as well. The second type of faithfulness is found in verses 17 through 20. Look at what it says. The Lord is righteous in all his works and kind or ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. David describes a deeper faithfulness that's tied to a deeper covenant. While God's faithfulness to the whole creation is tied to the covenant that God made with Noah, the faithfulness that we see here is tied to the new covenant that God makes through Jesus. God is faithful specifically to his people. God is faithful to all of his creation, but especially he's faithful to his covenant people. We see that in that God is near to all who call on him. Everyone does not call on the Lord. God is faithful to those who fear him. Not everyone fears the Lord. God is faithful and preserves all those who love him. Not everyone loves the Lord. So God is specifically faithful to us as his people more so than he is to all of creation at large. And God's provision flows from his faithful, gracious, and righteous character. God has revealed himself to us, and you can trust in him today. You can know this second type of faithfulness that David is talking about here in Psalm 145. God is calling you to himself. He's calling me to himself every day. That's how he provides for us. Even if we made a decision to follow after Christ 40 years ago, 
God is still every day drawing us and calling us closer to himself, shaping us more into the image of his son. And that is how he provides faithfulness toward us. He wants us to be in covenant with him. In just a moment, we will have an opportunity to respond to how God is working in our hearts today. And I would encourage you to respond. Maybe today you need to make a decision to follow after Jesus, to be in relationship with him for the first time. I'm not naive enough to think that in a room this size with this many people that there's not someone who is not in a relationship with the Lord. Today can be the day of salvation, and we would love to help you with that. We would celebrate with you in following after Christ for the first time today. We would rejoice in that. But as we close, there's another way for us to respond this morning as well. When was the last time that you thanked God for his faithfulness? When was the last time that you got on your knees before the Lord and you worshiped him and said, God, thank you so much for how faithful you are to me? When was the last time that you celebrated God's goodness in your life? Our God is good, and we can celebrate that. We should rejoice in the fact that our God is good. When was the last time that you stood in awe of the greatness of our God? This God is so great that it says in another psalm that he breathes out the stars. Now, I don't know about you, but in my mind, stars are pretty big. Our sun is 93 million miles away, and it still looks pretty big in our sky, right? And it says that God breathes that out. Our God is great. I don't know when the last time that you went and stood at the ocean and saw the expanse of water that's before you. It says that God holds all those waters in the palm of his hand. Our God is great, is he not? I don't know when the last time that I know that Lookout Mountain is little in comparison to other mountains, but the last time that you drove up 27 and you get there to Chickamauga and you get that great shot of the end of Lookout Mountain, you say, man, look at how great our God is. He created that. He thought that into being. He didn't have to work to make that happen. He thought that into being. Our God is great. We've been reminded today of each of these aspects of God, that he is great, that he is good, that he is faithful. I'd encourage you to cry out to God as we respond to him this morning. Come to the altar. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Get on your knees and thank the Lord for how good and great and faithful he is. Celebrate our God today. Thank him for all he has done in and through your life and worship him in response. Let's pray together. God, you are good. You are great. And you are faithful. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can trust in you. We thank you that you show us how great you are. We thank you that we get to experience your goodness. And we praise you for how faithful you are to us. God, lead us to respond now. Help us to be thankful and grateful for all that you do in us and through us. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's respond to how great our God is this morning.